For those of you who may be visiting with us, for those of you who may have been here for a while, we've been studying on Sunday mornings from the book of Acts. This is a multifaceted book, almost like a diamond, that at one point you look at it and you see the great emphasis on the conversion of the non-Christian to become a child of God. You see the plan of salvation revealed so plainly, so clearly, and the accounts of conversion as the people were on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, as was the eunuch in Acts chapter 8, Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, the Corinthians in Acts chapter 18, and even the Ephesians in Acts chapter 19. If you look at the book from another perspective, you see the early New Testament church gathering together, worshiping God and offering their praises to Him. And you see the plan that God had for the church to worship. There's another aspect of it that sometimes I think escapes our attention. is the fact that the early New Testament church was a caring group of people. There was a lot of benevolence that took place because they really cared about those who were less fortunate and those who were in need. In fact, we're studying in Acts chapters 21 through 23 this morning. And as you and I approach this, the background of it is the Apostle Paul is on his way to Jerusalem to bring a contribution from the brethren who lived in Asia and Achaia and Macedonia who were Gentiles to those who were Jews in Jerusalem. Paul has been making his journey toward Jerusalem and yet at the same time he has been very seriously warned that it's going to be a very difficult time here. He was told that when he arrived in Jerusalem that he would be persecuted, that he would be bound, and yet that did not deter Paul. He had within his hand the great contribution for the needy saints. And he was going to fulfill that duty in carrying the gospel to them. When Paul arrives at Jerusalem, there is a little bit of tension. Will Paul be accepted? The church met. Paul presented to them the conversion of the Gentiles. And they glorified God because the Gentiles were being converted But there was a concern that we studied about last week. All these Jews were zealous for the law. And they wanted Paul to do something plain and clear to show that he also kept the Old Testament law. And Paul cooperated with their plan. And being at charges and taking a vow and paying for those who were taking a vow. And he himself then participated We talked about that in detail last week. Now Paul is now going to appear before a large group of people in the temple. So what I want to do, before we actually enter into our lesson, I want to begin with the background of why I chose to preach the lesson the way we did this morning. The truth is, is that everyone has a past. Whether you want to admit it or not, some, for instance, have a worse past than others, but every one of us have things in our background which we should not and ought not be proud of. There's things that we've said, there's things that we have done that are embarrassing to us as Christians. 
Which makes us ask the question, who is acceptable as a disciple of the Lord? Or who can become a Christian and God accept him? And the answer is anybody's heart that is willing to turn toward God. The discussion of Acts chapters 21 through 23 reveals that even the most vile sinner has the potential to be a faithful child of God. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Paul and his past. He's going to spend some time talking about that in Acts chapter 22. We're going to talk about Paul and his present. Why was he who he was? Number three, we will talk about Paul and his potential with the idea in mind of applying this. Do I have potential to be what God wants me to be? Well, let's get our Bibles. Let's go to Acts 21. Let's start looking at the background behind this because here's going to be some key passages to help us understand. Let's go to verses 27 through 30. Now when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was disturbed. And the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple. And immediately the doors were shut. Now, before we go anywhere else, we've got to pause here. And we've got to realize those men that Paul had been at charges with, who he was going to be with them for seven days, those seven days were almost over. We learn that there's Jews from Asia. Now, when we say Asia, most of us think of, of maybe Japan and we think of China and we, we think of those countries in Southeast Asia. But in biblical times, Asia was Turkey. You know, the seven churches of Asia, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Philadelphia, Laodicea, those congregations, that's area of Asia. And there were people from there who, it says, stirred up the whole crowd. These are not Jewish Christians. These are just Jews. They're Jews from the area where Paul had worked. In fact, if you'll remember, Paul spent three years in Acts 19 in Ephesus. So Paul's familiar to them. One of the men that you will observe in verse 29 was Trophimus the Ephesian. They recognized Paul. They recognized Trophimus. It says they stirred up the whole crowd, laid hands on him. That doesn't mean they come over and say, hey, good, good brother, good to see. No, they're, they're going to do him harm. They're ready to kill Paul because of what they're accusing him of. 
But then if you'll notice, it says they cried out, men of Israel, help. It's almost as if you've got some sort of rabble-rouser, maybe a terrorist, someone who's thinking about doing harm, and you call out, everybody come help. Let's confiscate this man. Let's be sure that we hold him down. And what happens is the mob mentality takes over. They're accusing Paul of speaking against the people, speaking against the law. They're accusing him of desecrating the temple. Now, folks, let me tell you why I don't believe Paul at all did this. Because verse 29, Luke says they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city. They supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. There were signs all the way around the entrances into the temple proper that said, upon penalty of death, should any Gentile enter. Paul would not have taken a man knowing that if he went in there, would have lost his life. That wasn't who Paul was. But they're using this as a way to trump up charges and to kill Paul. Now what takes place between verse 30 and verse 39 is that the Roman officials come down and they rescue Paul. There was a tower on the northwest side of the Temple Mount called the Tower of Antonio. And that tower looked over the whole temple area there so they could see any sort of problems develop. And immediately when they see this mob come together to start to kill Paul, the commander... His soldiers comes down and they take Paul. And they carry Paul all the way to the tower, up to the tower, the steps leading up there. And when he gets there, Paul is going to give a message. He's going to tell the commander, he says, can I say something? Let's look now at verse 39 and following. But Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus of Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. And I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs, motioned with his hand to the people, and there was a great silence. And he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, Now observe here for just a minute. Paul said, I'm from Tarsus of Cilicia. He says, this is not a insignificant this is not a mean city this is not where unsophisticated rabble rousers come from Luke also tells us that the commander thought that perhaps he was an Egyptian which had led a, a previous sort of insurrection and a bunch of assassins that wasn't who this was this man speaks Greek in fact he speaks good Greek because he's from a city of where people are well educated So Paul is given permission. He's up above the audience. He's on the stairs now. The soldiers are there to protect him. But he's going to be able to speak to the audience. And when he speaks in the Hebrew language, everybody's going to listen. Everybody's ears are going to perk up. As a result, now Paul will explain his past. And that's why this is so important. Let me tell you who I am and who I was. And so... He begins to describe all that he had done. Let's look at chapter 22, verses 3 through 5. Here's what he's saying to the people. I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but 
brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you are all today. I persecuted the way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness. And all the council of the elders from whom I received letters to the brethren. And I went to Damascus to bring them, even those who were there, to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul begins, first of all, he says, I am a Jew. One of the first things that you have to do in trying to reach people is to get them to understand you're on the same level that they are. Paul is a Jew like they are a Jew. They might say, but Paul, you were born from somewhere else. But he says, but I was reared in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. A great rabbi, a great teacher. Paul had learned what he had learned to be taught according to the strictness of the law. He was a Pharisee. Now when Paul is doing this, he's trying to get his audience to understand, I am like you are. Or perhaps more correctly, I was as you are. He had been just like them. He had been a persecutor of the way. That's exactly what they're doing now. They're looking at Paul and they're saying, you don't deserve to live. You need to be persecuted. And here's the bottom line. Paul was an evil man with good intentions. An evil man with good intentions. I'd like to ask you, do you think there's some people out there who are doing the devil's work, who are evil people, but they actually believe they're doing good? Are there people out there who are defending things like the homosexual agenda, the killing of babies, the, uh, you know, all these sorts of things which are contrary to God's law, but they think and they really believe in their minds that they're doing something good. And someone says, oh, but how could they? How could they? Well, let's look at Paul. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul would say, look at me. I don't claim to be the great man. I claim to be the man who was saved by the grace of God. Or to be put it like he did in 1 Corinthians 15, 9. For I am less than the least, or the least of all the apostles, who's not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. When he appeared before Festus and Agrippa, he said, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem. He goes on to say, he said, when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Paul held the coats of those people who stoned Stephen. But in doing that, he believed that he was trying to stop a false religion. Well, what made the difference? 
Why is now Paul a different man? Why now is Paul doing different things? Well, he's going to describe his present state. He's going to say, yes, I was a persecutor of Christians. But when I went to Damascus, I saw the light. When you go to chapter 22, let's look at verses 6 through 8. Very simple statement. Now, it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus about noon. Suddenly, a great light shone around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard the voice of one saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered and said, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. Can you imagine, here's a man fighting against what he believes is evil, and now he recognizes he is not a liar, but he's the Lord. Now, the Lord didn't tell Paul what to do right then. In fact, you go to verse 10. What shall I do, Lord? And he said to me, Arise, go to Damascus, and you, there you will be told the things which are appointed for you to do. If you'll remember when we studied Acts 9, Paul went there and he didn't eat. He prayed. Here's a man who's smitten down with penitence in his heart. He's wanting to know what he needs to do. A man sent there by God by the name of Ananias comes to him and he says, And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Saul, what are you waiting on? Here's what God tells you to do. Arise and be baptized. Why did I do that? To wash away your sins. Oh, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from our sins. But it's baptism that the Lord told us to participate in. And from thence he was to carry the gospel into all the world. Paul had always been a man of good conscience. That's not changed. The old man that he was, he believed he ought to be doing what was right. Now he's doing something different. Acts 24, verse 16, he said, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and man. 2 Timothy 1, verse 3, he said, Whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. You see, Paul had been pious, He'd been passionate. He had a pure conscience. There was a missing ingredient. There was knowledge. He didn't know who the Christ was. Now he does. If you're an honest man and you teach him the truth, you know what an honest man's going to do? The honest man's going to do what he knows he ought to do. That's why Paul became Paul the preacher instead of Paul the persecutor. Well, let me point out to you that a good conscience is not proof that a person is right before God. Paul is an excellent example of that. Going back to Acts 26, verses 9 through 11, I thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus. I thought I should. Or you go to Proverbs 14, verse 12, There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Are there people who are headed toward hell? Are there? 
who believe they're going on the right direction? Absolutely. What do they need? They need knowledge. They need understanding. What is Paul trying to do here as he stands on these steps and he is preaching to these people? He's trying to provide them knowledge that Jesus is the Christ. Now, I've got to step back and I've got to look and say, how do people see Paul? What do they see in him? Well, I can tell you how some saw him. Some saw him as the old Paul needing to be feared. and We need to avoid him and we need to not have to, to deal with him. It may be a ruse. In fact, the reason why Paul's saying he's converted is because he wants to get on the inside now and then kill us all. You remember Ananias in Acts 9, verses 11 through 14? The Lord said, Arise, go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas. For one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he's praying. And in a vision he's seen a man named Ananias coming and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. And Ananias said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Lord, are you sure you want me to go to Paul? And God said, yeah, I've got a job for him to do. In fact, I have a special mission. Acts 9, 15. Go for he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. You see, there were people who were afraid of him. But you see, here's the problem. God saw the potential in Paul when others did not. And the question comes up in our morning's lesson is, does God see the potential in you? Does God see the potential in me? One of the most difficult things that many people have in choosing to become a Christian is, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I'm sorry for the sins that I have committed. And I'm, I am willing to confess my faith in Him that He's the Son of God and then, yes, I'm willing to be baptized, but I don't know if God will receive me. What is Paul's point? If God will take me, God will take you. And there's no one, no one whom God looks at and say he's not worthy. Well, I could spend a lot of time talking about people like Zacchaeus. Little man, everybody hated him. He was a tax collector. But Jesus said he also is a son of Abraham. He's worthy of saving. Paul was a remarkable man. He had courage. He had conviction. He had commitment and a conscience. And that's what made him special. And I'm persuaded that in this audience this morning, there's some people just like Paul, maybe not to the degree that Paul was in your back life, but some of you may have done some things that you are terribly embarrassed about. But now you would be, you'd be willing to commit your life to the Lord if you only knew that God would accept you. You know what the purpose of this lesson was? To prove that God will accept you. We too can be a great servant of God if we're willing to listen, to learn, and to act. I did not ask Brother Caleb about...
the invitation song, but it fits perfectly. Let him have his way with you. Will you this morning become a Christian? Will you this morning come back to the Lord if you've been straying away? If you will, please come as together we stand and sing.